This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hello, welcome, and I'm very happy that you chose to join the program today. If you were with us last week, you will recall that we were talking about positive potential or merit. We were examining Dr. Alex Burson's explanation of what he admits is a very complex subject. He talks about a network of potentials, some that are positive and come from acting constructively free from attachment, and others that are negative and come from acting through attachment and other afflictive emotions. He differentiates between the how, how the Chinese and we in the West view karma and how the Indians and, Tibet and the Tibetans see it. We have the idea that the universe is just, and therefore if we obey and act in accordance with certain laws, we will earn happiness, and if we don't, we will earn unhappiness. But this is not actually how Buddhism sees it. In Indian and Tibetan Buddhism, we're talking about a system that makes sense, but is not based on justice or fairness, he says. It is just what it is. When we talk about the result of acting constructively, this is actually quite complicated. Motivation alone is not enough. We need a combination of a motivation, an action, and its immediate outcome. The motivation may be positive, but as when you make a nice meal and your guest chokes on a bone or breaks his tooth on it, it is a complex thing. However, the motivation is most important. Now on that note, let's leave Dr. Alex Burson for a moment and concentrate on our motivation for being involved with the program today. If you can, let the motivation be as usual to gain enlightenment for the sake of all beings. But if that is too much, at least think of gaining your own complete liberation from suffering. Thank you. And with that kind of motivation, and then acting with concentration and loving-kindness for the next half hour or so, we will build up our merit, by which we mean we will have strengthened our network of positive potentials. But of course, if our motivation is selfish and we participate in a distracted and uncaring way, we could also strengthen our network of negative potentials. Dr. Burson says that it is through strengthening our various potentials we form preferences likings and dislikings that define our personality. Then, depending on that and circumstances ripening, we are subject to impulses, which, if acted on, tend to strengthen our potentials. It is chaos, Dr. Burson says. It's not linear. It is chaotic in a sense, but this is understandable because of the complexity of what makes up the whole network of our positive potentials and what makes up the network of our negative potentials. It is very complex. Our network is also without beginning, and he uses the example of refugees to Germany to clarify. What is quite interesting is, we're talking about whether this person is entitled to sympathy and receiving refugee status in Germany, or is this person entitled to join the underground army and take revenge? Karma gives a very interesting answer to the idea of positive and negative potentials, he says. Obviously, it was a result of negative potentials that these people lost their homes and their families were killed. But if they also have a lot of positive potentials, then they will automatically receive sympathy, 
or they will be granted asylum in Germany. They don't even have to demand it, because they could demand it and not get it if they don't have the positive potential. Even if they have a certain amount of potential to receive that refugee status, there could be other negative potentials that would make them unhappy in Germany. He carries on, they could also have a lot of further negative potentials. The negative potential that comes from having killed could result in your being in a situation in which you or your loved ones are killed. But if that negative potential is still there, then it will continue in the sense that you will have the preference to want to take revenge. And then the impulse comes up to go and take revenge so that the negative potential that is there is perpetuated. Since all of this is not linear, one day it will be one thing that ripens, another day it will be another. We have a combination of all these sorts of things because while someone is taking revenge, he can be really happy about taking revenge, but he could also feel terribly angry or depressed. And this is the general idea of positive potential in Buddhism. We're discussing the creation of merit or strengthening our positive potential network as a response to a passage in the text we are following, Nam Karpel's Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun. The passage describes the first of four practices recommended in taking adverse circumstances into the path to enlightenment. You may remember that this taking adverse circumstances into the path means using not only the good times but also the bad to make spiritual progress. Each of us will undoubtedly experience both happy and unhappy times in our life. There is no escaping this. Things will not always go our way just as we want and sometimes they will go in the opposite direction. But whether we gain or lose in any situation depends on how we react to it, not on what the situation brings to us. Now that being so, we need to train ourselves in finding the best way to derive benefit from all situations, especially the difficult ones. Discovering how to get benefit in difficult situations is what taking adverse circumstances into the path is all about. Every situation is approached with a positive mind and is seen as a way to strengthen ourselves. Eventually, we look for difficult times and the harder the situation, the better we like it. The main practice in all this is Tonglen, based on a bodhicitta motivation. That is, taking on all beings suffering while giving them happiness with the motivation to attain enlightenment for the sake of all these beings. However, we will be too weak to act on our intention and Tong Len will only stay on an aspirational level if we don't accompany it with the four practices the text mentions, the first of which is the accumulation of merit, as we've just described. So, continuing with that, Dr. Alex Burzen says, What we try to do as much as possible is to strengthen our network of positive potentials without being naive about it, thinking that all I have to do is a hundred thousand prostrations, or this or that, and I'm always going to be happy and nothing is ever going to go wrong. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes there are other things there that make us unhappy. In general, I may be happy, but I really like very greasy pizzas, and so I'm going out after doing my hundred thousand prostrations to eat a greasy pizza because of my liking them and because the impulse comes up. But after I eat it, my positive potential from the prostrations is not going to prevent me from becoming sick. It's very important not to be naive about it. 
The main idea is that we want to build up this positive potential so that we will get circumstances conducive for gaining insight into the Dharma. As a result of positive potential, we will have the inclination to get ourselves into the circumstances. As a result of positive potential, I like to meditate. I like to think about profound topics in the Dharma as a result of doing these types of practices. Because we like doing that, the impulse to meditate or to think about voidness, that's emptiness, will come up more and more frequently. Why do we, do we remember voidness at all? It's because an impulse comes and we remember it. As a result of these impulses coming up, of these positive circumstances of what we like, we're going to attain deeper and deeper insights that will remove the ignorance and lack of awareness. And when we remove that, we remove the cause of our suffering. Then we are really happy. But this is in a chaotic, non-linear manner. It's not that we've got that insight and now, wow, bliss follows and you're happy forever. The process is also very long. That's the main reason why we want to build up positive potential, what it means to do that and how it works. I think it's quite important to get away from the misleading connotations that our Western words have, such as we earn our happiness and so on. We're entitled to something because we paid for it. So there it is, and I hope this brings some understanding about what Namka Palan text means by accumulating merits. The second of the four practices the text mentions is purification of negativity. As Dr. Burson says, we act through motivations not involved with attachment and motivations very much to do with attachment. The first brings positive potential and happiness, while the second will result in negative potentials and unhappy experiences. Our foundational practice is to strengthen the positive potentials while weakening the negative. And so Nam Kapal says, All the misdeeds you have committed or caused to be committed over beginningless time due to the disturbing emotions must be confessed repeatedly through the four powers. As we have seen, in all our countless lives we have created both positive and negative potentials. These will bring us happiness or misery respectively and according to the laws of karma we will have to experience the results. The time between the action and its result makes no difference. The result can come thousands or millions of lives after the action. In other words, as long as the karma is not attended to, the seed on the mind will never be destroyed. However, negative karma can be weakened and even rendered totally ineffective by what is known as the four opponent powers. Now, we've covered these in previous programs, but let's consider them again. This is how Geshe Loden, in his text, The Path to Enlightenment in Tibetan Buddhism, describes them. The first is the power of the object. This power, writes Geshe Loden, is often explained as being the object of confession. According to J. Pabonka Rinpoche, all negativities are created in relation to either the three jewels or sentient beings. Breaking vows, abandoning the Dharma, or causing disunity among the Sangha are examples of negative karma in relation to the three jewels. Killing, stealing, lying and so on are the examples of negative karma in relation to other sentient beings. If we fall to the ground, 
we use that same ground to support our efforts to get up again. Likewise, going for refuge by relying on the three jewels as the object of refuge and generating bodhicitta by relying on sentient beings as our object of compassion, we will purify all negative karma. Taking refuge and generating bodhicitta are therefore the power of the object. The second power is the power of regret. Of this Keshilonen says, Here you reflect on all your negative actions, those arising from attachment, anger, ignorance and so on, created in the past, present or likely to be created in the future. Also, recollect those negative actions that you have had others to create. Then, develop strong regret by recognizing the suffering that your negative karma has brought and will definitely bring in the future, both for yourself and others. Regret purifies both negative karma and the tendency to create negative karma again in the future. The extent to which you purify your negative karma is dependent on the strength and sincerity of your regret. Suppose three people eat poisonous food. One dies, the second becomes extremely ill, and the third experiences no ill effects for the time being. Seeing the consequences the first two suffered, the third person would have great regret for eating that particular food. He would try anything possible to get the poison out of his system and vow not to eat that food again. Sentient beings have eaten at the notorious Negative Karma restaurant. Their systems are infected with the poisons of anger, attachment and ignorance. Some have already died and be re been reborn in the lower realms. Others are about to die and be reborn there. We frequent the same restaurant, have eaten the same food and have its poison in our system. So we should regret our negative karma, strongly apply the four permanent practices and vow never to be angry and so on again. Then the third power is the power of the opponent force. Geshe Loden writes, The third power is a virtuous action done as an antidote to whatever negative action we wish to purify. It can be any positive action performed with sincere regret for our negativity. You may, for example, do prostrations, recite mantras, read Dharma texts, meditate on emptiness, recite the names of the Buddhas, make offerings or practice generosity. Doing any of these actions with bodhicitta motivation and awareness of the emptiness of inherent existence of subject, object and action makes the purification most powerful. Any Dharma practice, such as the six transcendental actions of a bodhisattva, or the ten virtues, or even just having positive thoughts, is a po an opponent force overcoming negative karmas. The purification practice favored by Lama Tsongkhapa and many great Lamas is reciting the Sutra of Three Heaps whilst making prostrations. This Sutra contains the elements of all four opponent powers and the names of the 35 Buddhas of Confession. Any practice of meditation will purify negative karma, especially if you concentrate on bodhicitta or the wisdom perceiving emptiness. The opponent force is the actual means to dis directly destroy negative karma and its habit energy. The power of commitment or promise is the fourth power. This, says Geshe Loden, is the promise not to perform the ne negativity again. If possible, you can make the promise to abandon it forever. But actions that you are prone to, say gossip, you should promise not to do 
for a period you are confident of maintaining. You may promise to abandon an action for the next year or month or for whatever period you are certain to keep your commitment. Without this power of commitment, purification is not complete, so it's more important to establish the habit of fulfilling your promise than to promise more than you can deliver. The most skillful method is to commit yourself to abandon negativity for a day and practice purification daily. Those then are the four opponent powers. But then Geshe Lodin introduces the question, how can I purify karma from previous lifetimes when I have difficulty recollecting all the instances of negative karma just for the last year, much less this life? He answers his own question with, suppose you decided to destroy every single animal, insect and bird in a particular forest. By burning the entire forest, you could be sure to have destroyed them all, even without knowing the instances of the various species killed. In the same way, by grouping all negative karmas over all lifetimes and practicing the four opponent powers in relation to them, all negative karmas can be purified without identifying each particular instance. He says further that any negative karma, even the heaviest, can be completely purified if the four opponent powers are applied strongly with sincere regret a powerful commitment and so on. He says, applying them with medium strength, negative karma will be lessened and even a weak practice of the four opponent powers will at least prevent negative karma increasing. Now talking about karma, in the Huffington Post, author Darren Littlejohn wrote a blog titled How to Stay Sober with Buddhism and the Law of Attraction. Littlejohn describes himself as a Buddhist in recovery and he has some interesting things to say about karma in this blog about Buddhism and addictions. He writes, They've just been bought out by Simon & Schuster after phenomenal overnight success with the now infamous The Secret. I'd looked at The Secret when it came out and thought it was really hokey. This wasn't new material after all. It was derivative of the so-called New Thought movement of the late 1800s, early 1900s. The ideas are varied, but what I take from it is that our minds are responsible for our well-being. In other words, we create our situation. And this throws a wrench into the notion that our fate is determined by a deity which lends itself nicely to the basic ideas of Buddhism. The view that we can fix ourselves by adjusting our thinking is definitely not new to psychology either. In undergraduate and graduate school, I studied both the cognitive and behavioral psychologies. The former holds that mental health can be improved by changing the way we frame reality. Behaviorists are more inclined to say that thought matters less, but that our learned behaviors are what cause our happiness or suffering. Behavior modification programs aim at retraining our brains to learn new behaviors based on reward and punishment schedules. For many years prior to college, I studied Emmett Fox's The Mental Equivalent and As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. There was also Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which I read when I was a budding young retail salesperson. All of these books made the same points as The Secret, As ye sow, so shall ye reap, which is a King James Bible quote. The way that Fox and other metaphysical Christians saw it if we, if we place our thoughts on God, we'd benefit. God is all power, so that when we turn to Him, we of course place our thoughts 
on a higher plane. The practice was one of prayer, scriptural study, or, as AA co-founder Bill Wilson put it, a raising of the heart and mind to God. And this one makes the most sense to me. I feel that if we can align ourselves with a power greater than ourselves, we have a chance to change. But self-worth and the feeling that we deserve abundance is key. No matter how much we believe in a power, if we don't feel worthy, we'll get what we feel we deserve. And that ain't much. Little John then asked the question, what's Buddha got to do with it? He writes, thoughts have power, but do all thoughts have equal power? What's required to give more power to one kind of thought and less to other kinds? Buddha would say that any thoughts, even the most subtle, deep, unconscious ones, have an effect. But the juicy ones are those that we fuel with our intentions, ignite with our actions, and keep burning with our relative satisfaction. For example, if we plan to hurt someone, then go harm them somehow, maybe with a whack upside the head, then are super proud of ourselves for doing so, we create a very powerful seed of negative karma. The seed will one day, and no one knows when, sprout, grow into a tree and bear fruit. That takes secondary causes such as soil, moisture, sunlight. Karmic seeds lie dormant until secondary conditions arise. Conversely, if we want to make someone feel good, set about a course of action to achieve that, did it and subsequently feel great about it, we also create a seed, albeit a different kind, called good karma or merit. Buddhist practitioners do a lot of things to collect merits, like saving bugs and blessing food, and all the beings killed in its production. We also do things like meditation on death, cultivate the intention to have compassion for all beings and dedicate our merits to the benefit of all beings. On the grossest level then, three things make up our experience. Intention, action, satisfaction. The Buddhist path is about removing all of our ignorance so the practices go deep into meditations that root out the original causes of suffering to the point where there are none left. And this is called liberation from a Buddhist perspective. So even though we might work for many lifetimes on the grosser levels, we eventually have to meditate and purify at the most secret and most subtle levels of our mind stream to completely eradicate all causes of suffering. You can see that Buddhist analysis goes into some pretty deep levels of power that even our most subtle thoughts have in our lives. The reason is that while there is still a cause left, even a tiny trace remaining, one little cause can lead to a nuclear reaction of bigger, more powerful effects. First there is nothing, then a chain reaction causes the Big Bang. One cause can lead to a universe. So Buddha would have us eradicate even the most minute traces of negative causes, because with secondary conditions they will grow. From the Buddhist perspective then, the law of attraction or power of positive thinking has enormous monumental consequences. This isn't just about creating abundance, losing weight or finding our soulmate. Those are important to our relative condition but are considered mundane concerns which eventually lead us to more suffering. The ultimate goal of the Buddha is to end all suffering. And that said, it's important to have a good situation while we're here on the planet.
The law of attraction, Little John claims, is nothing more than a repackaged version of the law of karma. Karma means cause, he says. All causes have effects. Effects have further causes. There are too many to keep track of, so our minds tend to try to draw straight lines from cause A to cause B. Ha! If only life weren't so complex. Maybe then we could understand it better. Some people jump to conclusions about karma. They cry, sure, blame the victims, and feel that if we say the law of, attra of attraction and or law of karma are valid, then the babies born with AIDS must deserve it somehow, and, well, we'd be beasts if we held such beliefs. But karma isn't about belief. It's about evidence. And the evidentiary tributaries can only be followed within the individual psyche. Unless we're omniscient, we simply can't know the karma of anyone but ourselves. And even that is a multi-lifetime meditation journey, according to the Buddha. Little John continues, As a practicing Buddhist in recovery, I think of addiction in terms of Dharma, which for him is any spiritual teaching, but for our purposes Buddhist teachings. Buddha said that attachment is our main problem, he continues. We all have attachments. Addiction is what I consider attachment gone wild. When we are merely attached, Buddha would say that we are sowing seeds that will lead to further sufferings for ourselves. When we are attached at a level that causes the people around us to suffer, we've got a problem. We might drink too much, which looks socially acceptable on some levels. More so than a porn addiction, gambling, eating disorders. But they are all manifestations of the same types of causes. Mainly we don't feel satisfied, where, so we try to take something or do something that satiates us. But addiction is a brain disease, and when we are addicted, our brains don't produce the happy chemicals that we need to maintain a balanced, healthy life. Satiation doesn't ever really satisfy us. The hallmark of addiction is that unquenchable thirst. Thirst, of course, can mean a desire for any object, person, situation or event. From the perspective of the law of attraction, it would be better to turn our thirst to abundance, love and joy. From a Buddhist perspective, we take that thirst to focus on the happiness of other beings. From a recovery view, we might say, we have to give it away to keep it. That's Darren Littlejohn. And now to finish off today, Let's turn back to the article on studybuddhism.com by Dr. Alec Burson we started the program with. He talks about the merit we can accumulate through dedication. What are we doing with our dedication, he asks, and then writes, What we are saying is thinking, I dedicate the positive potential for everybody to become enlightened quickly. It sounds like a children's prayer recited at school. To many of us, it's just words. What does it actually mean? What we are saying is, may whatever understanding we might have gained grow deeper and deeper. May it integrate into my network of positive potentials so that it strengthens the various aspects of my potentials to act with understanding, to act with compassion, to be patient when experiencing difficulties, to be patient when I see other people suffering, and so on. And with that we must say farewell, for our time is now up. Please dedicate just as Dr. Burson suggests. Thank you for joining the program today, and I hope you'll tune in again next time. Goodbye. 
For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.